This is the Get A Life Podcast. X-Cult Conversations. Hello everyone and welcome to the Get A Life Podcast in the UK. And this evening I've got with me my lovely friends. Um, we've got Ross Turner and we've got another Ross, Atmore and Jackie Hart. And our special guest this evening is Fritz Penny. So Fritz. Good to see you and welcome to the podcast. Okay. Looking forward to hearing your story and let's get started. Yeah, so hello, I'm Fritz Penny. I was brought up in the Prince Britain Christian Church in Southampton, so we're on the south coast of the UK. Um, I was, I'm now Fritz Edgar Penny. I was brought up Fritz Howard Morton, so very different, but um, I took my husband's name when we got married um, and the egg part i'll explain later um so i've got three siblings so i've got two brothers i've got an older brother a younger brother and i've got um, a sister who came a bit later so she's 10 years younger than me um we, parents came from both came from large families so dad is one of seven children um and mum is one of six they've all got married had kids um apart from dad's younger sibling he had something called Edward syndrome, which meant he he uh, died after a, a day after get, um, being born. Um, but he was born a month exactly before I came along. So he was April 25th. I was May 25th. Um, so it meant that I had a particularly special relationship with my paternal grandparents. Mm. Um, yeah, we were really close as a family, very close, even cousins, first cousins, second cousins, we were really close. Um, I was very close to my mum, um, and yeah, she was obviously my mum. She would get frustrated with me. She would nag me to do this, that, and the other, clean my room up, and the rest of it. Um, Mums do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. She was also my best friend. We would chat for mm -hmm. hours. She would ask me advice on her outfits and headscarves and shoes and the rest of it. Um, and we shopped together, and I loved doing the um, Sunday dinner with her. Um, she was amazing. She's amazing. Um, she's really loving and selfless, and she really loved life. So, um, um, I perhaps should explain for the outside listeners: Sunday dinner attended to be a bit of a thing in the Brethren, didn't it? A sort of a yeah. large. I mean, you explained for it, but it was a large roast. You'd probably have what up to twenty people round, and all. Yeah, absolutely. We had. We weren't very well off at all. We didn't mm. have the biggest house in the world. I shared with my shared a uh, bedroom with my brother up until the day I left um so yeah we didn't have that many rounds and it was okay. it was always very high pressured there's always a, a um expectation of what yeah. the, the meal and the you know the the time was going to bring um so yeah so i only mum probably kind of felt that a little bit um yeah there was an element of almost competition about it yes I, absolutely I so your mum probably really appreciated some help with it because all i would know is i didn't have to do it because i wasn't married in the brethren but yeah. and did didn't you and was did i'm sure oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and it yeah. was darn hard work wasn't it yeah, yeah. and of course, and of course it's the sorry Ross, yeah no since i know my my mum fritz we were in the same boat as you really we weren't very mm. well off either and my mum used to get so hit up about a sunday because she knew you know mm -hmm. all the best was expected and we couldn't afford it really anyway mm -hmm. sorry go yeah. on for it that's right that's exactly and of course the the sunday dinner was always the woman's job in the <laughs> of course. That, it always <laughs> yeah. fell to the woman to do um, yeah. so 
obviously from that point I was always looked at a little bit differently because I was in the kitchen rather than entertaining the brethren as I probably should have been um but yeah I've got this amazing video of mum that I really treasure that I've got now of her um we used to be responsible for opening up the meeting rooms before the brethren came and sort of get the meeting room ready mm. and um one night we was in one of our subdivision meetings so one of the little meetings in the area and um there's mum decided to jog around the car park in our high hills and she's got this incredible <laughs> laugh it's a really cheeky chuckle and it's it's incredible because i i treasure it now because it's obviously one of the very few videos of, or sounds i've got of her and yeah. it's amazing it just shows what a person she was yeah um yeah so we were we were brought up i would say in a very strict household we always followed the rules we we certainly weren't anywhere near the top of the rung of the ladder in the brethren in our in our city um we certainly didn't feel like it um so yeah and i would always say i was, I was a particularly good boy <laughs> always followed the rules <laughs> and said the right things i think um yeah. in school i was you know i followed the rule to every letter um I only got my name on the board once in my entire life and that was it. And mm. <laughs> I think that transferred from what we've been taught at home, but also going to school, I was, you know, um, just had, yeah, felt like I needed to follow the rules. Yeah. So, so you were of an age where you were in one of the one schools, brethren schools, not yeah. a mainstream school. Yeah, absolutely. So I was homeschooled from earliest to year two. Um, my yeah. mom, um, don't know much about that. State school was year three to six um so we went to state school that during that time we were very much the odd ones out during that time mm. um so we weren't allowed to touch or use computers use the tv um you know if, if there's prayers in assembly we'd have to walk out and that kind of thing um so yeah and then brethren school was from year seven to what's the end of the education at college um yeah hated it but I think the sort of the hierarchy in the Brethren very much transferred into the hierarchy in school. Um, there's a lot of different bullying going on. Um, particularly, well, I was very much the odd one out in the school anyway, especially with the, the rest of my male classmates. Um, and that's obviously when I started feeling particularly different. I remember pretty much my whole time in the Brethren school, they used to mimic how I spoke. Um, so when um, I had to read out loud to the class, as you dreaded it, because I would have these pe people in the background mimicking me, which is, and eventually I just stopped talking. I just thought, okay, I'll just be silent. Um, and there's one particular lesson where the boys, um, the, 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 the teacher asked us what our favourite lessons were, and of course all the boys were like woodwork, PE, all the rest of it. And um, I answered history and art. And I remember a boy behind me turning to his classmates and whispering, loud enough for me to hear he's gay and wow. it, i obviously didn't have a clue that was what it was at that point but also i knew that it wasn't a good thing that was wicked and evil um and the fact that someone had labeled it on me without me even realizing that's what it was mm. already mm. put the terror in me um so yeah so i people often ask that when when did i know and i i don't think i can actually put a date on it or anything like that i always was different um my brothers were in a, a sort of a, the brethren live in a world of stereotypes. Um, mm. So my brothers loved being outside. They loved chopping trees and playing with cars and this kind of thing. Um, Dad was a builder, so he loved doing projects in the house, um, carpentry and that kind of thing. And I was inside helping mum baking when I was little. While I was dressing up in 
mum's heels and <laughs> put on plays and shows <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, and they didn't realise. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. So I, I was always the, the odd one out. I felt even, you know, in Aww. my own family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they, and they always used the word gay as a slur. It was always, you know, that's gay, that sounds gay, yeah. sound gay, yeah. you look gay. Um, and all those supposedly small messages um, were actually, they all embed themselves in your mind. They all create this massive shame complex in your head. Um, mm. So, and that's still something that I, you know, I, I battle. Mm. Um, so I remember we were talking to Ross. He sort of said that, that though, that, that being put on him, compounded with that in the Brethren environment resulted in him feeling quite worthless at times. Did, did you have a similar emotion growing up? Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I was already, I knew I was, we were in a, an odd environment anyway. Mm. Um, you mm. know, people would look at us weirdly in the shops and, um, but then you also, you're in a minority in a minor, minority. So you're, I was already, you know, feeling like an odd one out. Um, and yeah, you do feel like you do feel worthless especially when you're not particularly high up in the, the whole system you've got. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And you said, Fritz, you still feel shame to this day. Um, do you have days where you don't like yourself for who you are? Yeah. So it, it was it, it was worse, obviously, when I first came out. Mm. Um, but I've, I've got better at it. Yeah. There's just times, mm. I think, when I meet um Particularly when I see brethren in the shops, it all comes flooding back. That is a big mm -hmm. trigger. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I saw mum in our local supermarket last year, I think it was. Um, mm -hmm. And I, firstly, I hardly recognised her. She she didn't uh, look great. Um, and But I ran off, literally pulled her around and was like, I don't know where he's gone. Mm -hmm. And... I messaged mum after saying, I, I saw you, but I just ran off and she was like, why do you think that was? And I just, it's, it's the fear that I've, that's been created since all this time. There's no contact, this, the shame that's built yeah. up is, mm. what, is what's happened. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, mm. I can fully understand exactly where you're coming from there. Mm. Yeah. So I think, so when I was 18, I, that was the first time I, so I started talking to a guy using my, Brethren mobile, that was a dumb thing to do. Um, yeah. And <laughs> my parents called me down one evening and asked what this number was in my phone bill that appeared so often. Um, I denied all knowledge and they said, well, it's from an area where there's no brethren. <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no excuse for that. Um, still denied everything. And eventually I was so wrapped with guilt, I just sent a little letter of my confession under their bedroom door and eventually I had my first priestly the next day. Um, and even one of the stand-up points then was one of them asked, you know, on these apps, is it just men? Is it just women? Or is it a mix? And I said, said, oh, it's just men. And it didn't go any further. Yet when I came out properly, they were shocked that I came out as gay. So I don't know where, that, no. where the thought process was. But <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. But what was ironic about that is that was during the time before RRT. So there's their Pi Days, which I think stood for public interest events or something. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. we yeah. have those. Yeah, so they opened up their meeting room car park where you could go and have a bacon roll and a chat or something. Um, and we had to go and my brother and I had to go and pick up the signs from my brother. Um, and ironically, it was in Brighton, so we spent the day in Brighton <laughs> the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Brighton was obviously a particularly known city for the LGBT community. Not yeah, only yeah. That time. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then eventually I sort of started buying phones from other companies. I realised my mistake. Um, I still remember the first time I went to Argos to buy my first phone. I was still convinced that they would be able to track me through Wi-Fi um, or something. It was it sort of he had this embedded thought that they'd they be able to track you, whatever you do, whatever protects yeah, you yeah, around yeah. you. Still, yeah. they can still get you. Um, and but anyway, it eventually turned out that Dad would find it on my mattress or in my clothes drawer yeah. or anywhere else that I could possibly try and hide it. Um, but yeah, through getting those phones, I started finding out about just the outside world um, and of the, the gay community as well, finding out I'm not the, actually the only gay in the village. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but I generally thought I was the only one in the world, let alone in the Brethren, that felt this weird feeling that I was knew was different from everyone else. Um, it blew my mind when I actually found out there's another gay brother. I thought, that's absolutely incredible. <laughs> we don't all suffer, you know, it's not just me that's suffering from this. Um and I, yeah, I remember the first time, because I really battled with it, you know, I prayed against it, prayed that I'd get cured, mm. um, got to the point where I was, before I escaped, I was praying to God that I would, he would either cure me or take me, I, I die, and just because it was, it just got to that stage where I was like, if this is what he wants from me, as in to be cured, then he would do it, otherwise, let me go, because this is, I can't do yeah. this yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, during that time, I, I did eventually um, sort of accept that I was gay. Just I remember talking to myself when we were going to one of our many walks in the countryside with the family, and um, it first time I said it, it just didn't it didn't feel evil or wicked or anything. It just felt right. It, it didn't suddenly bring in all the feeling of um, yeah wickedness that I thought it would. Um, and then yeah, so I realised I couldn't obviously continue my life in the Brethren. It wasn't gonna wasn't going to work the expectations that were creeping up on me regarding buying a house and getting married you know i was mm -hmm. 21 i was a year off from being expected to get married um and i went through stages of getting rid of these phones and then buying them again and getting rid of them and one time um my boss pulled me out of the office and said look we know you've got a, a worldly phone um and it turned out his wife had rummaged through the company car that I was using and found some packaging of the mobile phone. Um, very weird. That went in the shredder. Um, yeah, and I think the more I saw of the outside world, the more I felt trapped. Um, there's one particular time on a Sunday dinner at someone else's house, and I thought, you know, I just, I really want to get out. I really feel like I just, you know, I, I need to, need to stop this. And ultimately, I could have got up and walked out the front door, but the mental prison that you're in mm. is incredible. The, the way they build it up um, and make you feel like you're physically restrained, is, it's, it's amazing. Um, so I met Paul in 2014, um, ghosted him for about six months, not proud of that. Um, and we met, started me meeting up for walks, literally just walking and talking and sharing sort of life experience. But I always kept my background as a secret. I, you know, I had this underlying fear that he would go to the press. Like we've all been taught this fear of the attacks from the press. And we had these special meetings to pray against the attacks of the press. And um, yeah. I generally thought he would go and expose me and the brethren and it would all, yeah, come to a bad end. Um, 
And one time when we were on these walks, he said, um, so are your parents religious? It's <laughs> a bit like, um, <laughs> I can't really get out of this one. Um, he was like, so they're Mormon or JWs? Or I said, oh, no, they're brethren. And he actually kind of knew about the brethren already. He had actually um, been told to go to a, he comes from a religious background. He had already had been told to go to a church in Basingstoke, um, not the brethren church. But he ended up turning up at the brethren door and they told him he had the wrong church. Yeah. So we could have met in the brethren, weirdly. <laughs> but he was turned away because he wasn't the right person. So there we go. Um, he, he obviously wasn't well disposed. I think that's the word. Absolutely not. It? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And to be honest, he wouldn't have lasted five seconds, to be fair, because, yeah, he would have asked too many questions and broke too many rules. Um, yeah. And, but that time he started talking about his relationship with God and it was, I found it absolutely incredible because he talked about it and like it's his best friend and it was the way he talked about it was so real and so loving. Um, I'm not religious in any sort now, but the way he talked about his relationship then and it, it blew my mind that someone out here in this supposedly wicked world and who was also gay could also mm -hmm. have this amazing relationship mm -hmm. with this, with mm -hmm. his God. Um, yeah. So yeah, eventually I told him I want to escape, get out he became very emotional he's got four children so the thought of him losing a child was something he couldn't comprehend um and then so i started planning my escape so i lit started i became paranoid about everything so i put lists together of things to take things to do people to speak to i put timetables together of when the family would be in the meeting rooms or at home or in the church um but it all came to a bit of a a messy end um so one afternoon i was late home from work partly on purpose um and i got started getting messages from family that didn't used to message me that much and um so that yeah, yeah we arranged to go around to some, one of my family's house because they wanted a cake done or something anyway, when i got home my dad was there which is also odd he wouldn't the householder would ever stay home for a meeting um and he asked me to stay home and wait till mum comes home and then eventually mum came home and i was told to go upstairs to speak to her um and each step of that stair felt like an absolute mountain uh and yeah she was in sat on her bed sobbing and she motioned me to come sit next to her, which I did. And she produced this list that she had found in my wardrobe. Um, and it literally said on top, things to take when I leave. So kind of, there was no getting out of it. Um, and yeah, she was, I could tell the fear was very much the fear of what I was about to do, but also fear of where I was going to go. Because she generally thought that I had no one out there she was saying, you know, where, who are you going to go to? There's no one out there for you and the rest of it. Um, eventually said, I have to go for a walk, then called Paul and said, look, you need to come get me tomorrow morning. It's Once they find out, it's that's it. Um, there's no escape from it. You, they start putting things in place to try and keep you in. Um, and I thought there'd be a, a window of time the next morning where my mum would take my sister to school and my siblings and dad will be at work um however the next day they made sure someone was at the house the whole time 
Um, so I made out last, went to work, and um, yeah, so Paul came eventually, and we sat there for what seemed like a lifetime. He was sort of saying, you know, are you going to do this? And I knew that it was either we go now and there's no return or, you know, there's not much other option. So we raced off to Winchester, feeling like we're being tracked by every brethren in the world. Um, turns out there was brethren sent out to search for me after I told them that I'd gone. Um, yeah, and that was it. I went back and to, to Paul's house and that was the start of this roller coaster, basically. Um, I did have my coming out letter, which I thought I could possibly share if people wanted me to. Or yeah, that'd be yeah, great. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be great good. to see that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's very much in brethren speak. I put this together in way before I left. It took about I don't know how many tries to put this together to mm -hmm. make sure I had included everything. Um, so it does talk a lot about God, but you know that's the way we're brought up. Um, so I put uh, dear dad and mum. I'm sorry to do this to you, but I've made a decision to leave the brethren. This hasn't been a rash decision. I've thought and pray prayed about it for months, and I've needed to get my thoughts around it. I apologise for not telling the truth when Dad had that chat with me the other day. I thought I was doing what was best. You're the best dad and mum I could want, and I've got two brothers and sister who I love very much. I don't want any of you or any of the brethren to think it's something you've done that's made me move away. I'm very grateful for the support you've all given me, and obviously all that you've given me over the past 21 years. I want to tell you a few things that will hopefully help you understand why I've made this decision to leave. I've known all my life that something was different about me. Right from when I was a kid, I felt something wasn't quite the same as everyone else, but I wasn't able to figure out what it was. As I've grown older, I've learned what it's all about, and I've come, it's been tough to come to terms with, and it's been a big part of why I've struggled over the years. To cut straight to the point, I'm gay. I know this isn't something you wanted to hear, and it certainly wasn't something I wanted to accept. I've prayed about this for years, praying that I would change. I've spoken with God and asked that I either be changed or he would take me. I fought against it, fought against my feelings, but I, can't, I found like it can't change, and that is how God created me. It's not a choice. I mean, you would choose to be gay anyway. It's how I've been made, and we all know that God doesn't make mistakes. Only in the past couple of years, I've come to terms with it and had to accept it. I've had to show a different side of me to the brethren. So I've been feeling like a fake and that I've been living a lie that I can't do and I can't do that anymore. That's not what God wants anyone to do. I found that God loves me and even if I am gay, as we serve a God, God that loves all men, I want you to realise that I'm not leaving because the world looks like an exciting place. It's because I can't live a life that's two-faced. We all know that the brethren don't accept gays or any other sexuality in fellowship, so I've made a decision to move away. A decision I knew would cost me everything I knew and everything I had. I do just want to say that coming to terms with who you are is a very, very real struggle that can't be taken lightly. I want to point out that when I was, when as a young person going through this, it's very confusing and bewildering and also extremely frightening. I've also hoped and prayed that something that's it's something that's passing, but it won't change. Yet you have people around you telling you how corrupt we are, how that we are all against God. I've personally experienced name-calling of the worst kind that probably didn't mean anything to the person who said it, but it hurt me badly. So please be sensitive and make people then realise that they are loved, whoever they are. Don't make disparaging marks or criticise anyone when you don't know what's going, through, going on deep and down inside them. 
I love each one of you. I don't want to do this, but I have to know I have to. I love you. I love our Savior. And I can only pray that you'll be given the understanding of what this is about. Uh, I want to meet with you this week to collect the rest of my possessions. I want to thank you all for what you have done for me. You've brought me through times of good and bad, and I don't regret anything. I don't hold anything against any of the brethren, and I hope one day a person like me is accepted and loved as much as anyone else. Loved you all, your son. Wow. Wow. Gosh. Uh, did you send it? Uh, did you get a response from sending so, it? So I emailed it because <laughs> I didn't have the guts to say it to them face to face. Actually, when I spoke to mum, that time she spoke to me about finding the list, I was so close to telling her then, but leaving the brethren is one thing. Also being gay is another level that I just couldn't deal with at the time. Um, so I just didn't feel it was the appropriate time. So I emailed it to them. They took, I think it was about a day to respond. Um, and the first thing was, We'd had no idea, um, which still baffles me. But yeah, there we go. Maybe that's my head now that I can. I, I don't denial. understand it. It's denial, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Denial. And yeah. also, I think it's a little bit of. They said when I first came out, they said we won't tell anyone else about your situation, and they situation was always the code word for gay. They couldn't say it. Yeah, um, yeah. which is fair enough. You know, it took me a while to say it myself. Um, but yeah, they they said they didn't tell anyone. Turned out they told a few, but there we go. Um, I think it was probably to help people to understand, especially like my older brother and that kind of thing. Because I was a you know compliant brethren boy. For me to suddenly leave, I guess they had to have an explanation of why I'd suddenly mm. up sticks mm -hmm. and ditch everything that I had ever ever known. Especially when mm. they knew I was so close to mum, it wouldn't make sense for them. Especially like my little sister was eleven when I left. Um, the first time I went back to the house to collect the rest of my stuff, she had no idea I was there. She came to my bedroom where my parents were um, sort of telling me, you know, you don't have to take everything. You don't have to take everything. Um, okay. And, yeah, my little sister came in. She just burst into tears. And she was someone, she's quite like dad. She never really showed that much emotion when I when I knew her. Um, you know, she had three older brothers. She had to, you know, hold her own. Um, she was but we were obviously fiercely defensive of her, but she, yeah, that's the first time I've seen her properly just completely break. And again, it's that fear. It's the fact that she thought I was going into this weird, mm. wicked place, mm -hmm. even at that age of 11. Um, mm -hmm. I did see her a couple of times afterwards where I went to collect a couple of other bits afterwards and she treated me like she had always treated me. You know, I looked very different. Um, mm. But she was telling me about a pet rabbit. She was telling me about school. It was like nothing had ever happened. It was amazing. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I, I also want to touch on what's happened since because hmm. I wanted to tell people actually there's yes, there's the trauma and there's the pain and the grief and um, also there's also the life on the other side because hmm. um, I'm now loving life. I'm a lot more confident. Um, you know, I, last time I saw Ros was probably in a meeting room, which is probably quite a <laughs> weird thought. But um, yeah, I I feel like a, like a different person. Um, I would say boo to a goose when I was in there. Um, mm. And just a little boy somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't feel like a an anyone. I don't think my family felt like an anyone either, really. But um, mm. so yeah, when I first left the brethren, I I never could put on weight, and it's little bit of a brag but also I didn't like it either but I after the brethren I went down to 10 under 10 stone um mm -hmm. 
I'm now 15.5 and very proud of it. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's really, I do really feel it's like, and it's only been in, especially in the last two, three years, it's just how contented I'm feeling. Um, mm. Just comfortable. Um, so part of my getting out and coming out and finding this new journey has been finding all the amazing connections from this outside world to the inside world. Um, when I started following one of the ex-Bretton Facebook pages, um, one of my, so a, a third cousin, I think he is, he has also left um, way before I did. And his auntie messaged me. She was also ex-Bretton. And she messaged me saying, um, I'm in touch with your family in Canada. And so my grandmother on my mum's side, she is the only one in her family that stayed in the Brethren when there was some sort of split in the 70s. Um, she was already in love with my grandpa. She was 16. They got married not very, um, not much later. Um, and the rest of the family left. So my great-grandpa and grandma, um, two uncles and an auntie. And we never, obviously never spoke of them. They had turned their backs on the Brethren and the the great man at that time. Um, I remember seeing a photo of them once, but we never knew their names. They were wicked. Um, we had been told that my great grandpa and great grandma had died, died in their sins, as we've been told. Um, wow. So, yeah, wow. so I had this message saying that we're in touch with your Canadian family. And I hadn't even thought about it when I was planning to leave because they were never part of our lives. Um, and yeah, so I got a message from my great auntie from Canada. And they sent over two photos of them all. And it was incredible because they mm. look just like me. It's amazing. And my great grandma is very much alive. Yeah. Um, she is now, so this year she'll be 94. Wow. Um, up till COVID, she, uh, <coughs> she spent all her time volunteering at a homeless shelter. Wow. Um, Gosh. Yeah. And I remember that we, so we organized me to have my first phone call with her. And um, of course, I didn't know what to expect. And I was also incredibly nervous. Um, but she answered the phone and there's this sweet little English sounding lady on the other phone. <laughs> and we both cried. It was amazing. She's an Aww. incredible human being. Um, no. No, absolutely no. beautiful human. Yeah. Um, so we've, so a, a little bit like the story you told Ros when you met your grandmother. Yeah. It, you never was, knew. Yeah. It's you have the things that they said about them and you and, it, yeah. it's, it's been my yeah. formative years, so you believe it. And then you can find out there's actually that she I mean, she volunteers a time at homeless shelter when she's in her early nineties. I mean that's <laughs> what sort of wicked human being does that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sound like evil um, mm. people, and they're these sweet, darling, and most Christian yes, people that you're so genuine. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. That reminds me of my story as well, uh, Fritz, because um, my uncle on my mum's side left at Aberdeen, and they were over in the Isle of Man. Um, and I, I'm now in touch with my cousins over there, and yeah. they just welcomed me with open arms straight yeah. away the first time I spoke to them. Um, right. and, and like you say, you know, your great granny, she's uh, been volunteering for, you know, 
the homeless yeah. shelter. Well, my cousin was coxswain of the lifeboat over in the Isle of Man, you know, risking his life, for, yeah. you know, just voluntarily. Yeah, so, exactly. It just, yeah. yeah. It's, it's still, yeah, it's, it's amazing. So my grand, great-grandpa, he, had, he has died, um, but his first name is Edgar. Ah. Ah. so um yeah i asked my great grandma if i could take his name when we when i got married and she yeah she was over the moon bless her because yeah. obviously we've had no connection we're, we're very much separated obviously separated in every way um and i met my great uncle he came over to visit his son who's now living in london wow. um and yeah he gave me the biggest warmest hug and just said welcome to the family and it was just <laughs> yeah still gives me goosebumps yeah. now <laughs> yeah well, it's it's just that, that, that sense of belonging, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... Family, and go on. Sorry. And family does mean so much because your own have discarded you. In I don't mean that you, they have yeah. literally, but they've had to. And yeah. so when, when you get that genuine warmth and love from someone that doesn't know you but is family, yeah. then it means so much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just, uh, it's the weird way that you have that connection immediately. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The same thing happened with me with my cousins. Um, we're all so similar. It was like being sort of part of my family again. Yeah. Sort of these girls are just sort of, yeah. Yeah, and it's, yeah. Like, it's, like, it's like you've known them for years, isn't it? Not just, you know, just meeting them for yeah. the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's another time when, um, so there's these, this lovely couple who my, my pool were fr was got in touch with and was friends with before I appeared on the scene. Um, so he met them through the street pastors in Winchester. Um, and so my, my, the, the Imelda, my friend, she is German. Um, and my auntie in the inside, she got engaged to a German guy and moved to Dusseldorf, um, quite a while back. Um, she was really dedicated to learning the language and used to babysit my sister so she could during the meetings so she could do her German homework and this kind of thing. And I real built, built up a big love of the German language and I loved going to Germany and it's ironic that obviously I, my name is Fritz as well. But um <laughs> the our wedding celebration, um my friend Amelda was talking to my cousin who left left the brethren, and it turned out that my friend Amelda had been my auntie's German teacher. Oh wow! wow. So we had this wow. incredible wow. connection that we That's never amazing. knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How incredible, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So she's she had spent some time in my grandparents' house as well. It was just wow. It's yeah. Wow. Just shows That's that so you know it also means sort of makes you realise that it's meant to be. You know, if it was this wrong, then why does it all snap up so yeah. quick? So right. Yeah. It, it sort of gives you a sense of belonging, doesn't it? Because you've Absolutely. got this. Yeah. Okay, they're not your immediate family, but there's this extended family who accept you just the way you are, and yeah. I don't care who you are. All humans like to fit into a community of some description, don't they? Yeah. Um, and it, it 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 gives you that. I mean, I know you've got your husband, but it gives you that extended feeling of belonging doesn't it which yeah. is so yeah, for well-being isn't it yeah so absolutely when in the breath and obviously you're so walled up you've st you're so enclosed in this community that um feels like it's physically you're in a, a different community you know you feel like you're in a separate world to fact that re realize actually there are connections that cross over into the other world it, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's amazing yeah, yeah. 
yeah. ties it, it, it's just that continuation i mean and yeah i mean the brethren call themselves the community and they refer to any now i understand they refer to anybody outside as non-coms as in non-community <laughs> people <laughs> yes oh that's a, but a new one moving yeah, on. No, it was, it was one that was uh, uh, an insider used to me recently so i thought i'll pop that because it was yeah, wow. me. Yeah, yeah. a non-com so um non-com oh. yeah non-com so but it's, it is a community but the problem with the community and i do apologize for the issues i'm having with my video camera uh, oh, by the way I, i'm just gonna go off and go on I, i'm not quite sure why it is um but it's a community that you have to conform to. It's not a community that will accept you just as you are. It's a community where you have to be, as you said, for it's a good brethren boy. And yeah. being a good brethren boy, me. and if you don't fit that mould, then it can't be your community, can it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And obviously, it's as a, a, a brother, you expect to take part in meetings regularly and yeah. preach and the rest of it. And I found that absolutely terrifying. Yes. Whenever we go abroad to sort of visit my um, auntie and uncle in Germany, you're expected that evening you'll probably have to say something in the meeting. And that oh, so yeah. any times abroad were ruined because I'd yeah. have this dread getting to the meeting where again you're being judged by people you don't yeah. know on yeah. what you yeah, can well, tell I, them. I can fully relate. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, exactly there's the always expected expectation, and I hate that. And I think one of the things when I came out was suddenly having this realization that you're never going to ever have to preach again mm. and it was just yeah. it was like yeah. such a lovely liberating. feeling liberating <laughs> yeah. absolutely liberating I, so I always wanted to preach oh. <laughs> <laughs> no chance Anne. <laughs> no hey, chance. i would have had loads to say yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think the last yeah. meeting i ever 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 attended i actually gave the hymn out at the end of the meeting so that's oh really yeah. Yeah. um so, so Fritz, um, how long ago is it since you came? You you left the Brethren now. So I left in twenty fifteen, seventh of July, twenty fifteen. Okay. So um, yeah, we're well, coming up almost eight years now. Um, eight years. Yeah, generally didn't think I'd last this long. I remember trying to work out in my head during one of the meetings how long I'd last because mm. um, obviously the rapture's coming and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I literally generally didn't think I'd get to 30. It's ridiculous. But here we are, one year off. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so I know I was just going to say in that um, wondering how long you're going to last. I don't know about you, but when I first left, it was you felt like you had to fit everything into a really short space of time. Yeah. You had to get all these things done really yeah. quickly. Because you're never going to survive, you know, yeah. something's going to happen, you know, you're going to be punished in some way. And so it was like, yeah, yeah. it's, it's come, strange. I've, I've slowed down now, but it was like, for a long time, it was like, have to do this, have to do that, yeah. you know. Absolutely. And even in the smaller things, it's slightly related to that. Um, when I used to go shopping, I used to literally almost run around the shop to make sure we weren't part of, you know, rubbing shoulders of the world and the rest of it. And even now, Paul <laughs> still, still has to tell me to slow down. You know, the world is not going to end anytime soon. You're going to be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the rapture won't come while you're in the shop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, well, yeah. you know, you'll, you'll be fine any day on the, on the Sunday. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah. And that, I was going to ask in, in those. I was going to switch my camera off. In those um, seven, eight years, how much contact have you been able to have with your immediate family? So in the first few months, it was. Um, I had a fair bit of contact, I'd say. Mm -hmm. um, it, and especially at the start, it was very 
seemed very warm, very loving. There wasn't any begging to come back or anything like that. Um, I remember, so we had one, I met up my parents for a coffee a um, couple of days after I left. Um, one, of the, remember, one of the first things dad said was, I didn't realise you could cure it. Um, and he, he, he thought it was like you're gay for life, but he, until he was told by someone else. Um, and <laughs> You mean cure being gay? That's yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah. He, he didn't realise, and I sort of did ask, you know, what was what was the help, and they weren't too sure. Apart from, it was uh, educational help first. But do you um, think somebody in the brethren had perhaps spoken to your dad and said, "Hey, we can cure Fritz of that," yeah. a bit like they yeah. did to you, Ross, about your therapy yeah, sessions? Yeah. yeah. I'll just share this with you, Fritz. Um, yeah, as, as you know, I had various addictions, and the local brethren thought that me going to AA meetings would turn me straight. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> Wow, it's like, yeah. No, it's, it, it, we, I did have a priest turn up at my door once where I lived, and I lived on my own. Um, stupidly didn't check who it was before I opened the door, and he was stood there. Um, and he, yeah, again, he, I asked him what the help was, and he wouldn't tell me explicitly mm -hmm. what what it was um and i questioned him about the separation thing then as well and he that he turned on a pin then he was absolutely livid that i'd even questioned it and he said that's the first thing you all um question and i said oh, i generally don't understand it because you know if you really have this genuine love and relationship with god why don't you want to share it with others um and there's a guy walking down the street at the time and he said well that guy we don't know if he's a murderer or a rapist and I was like, <laughs> and that was his explanation. And yet they're harbouring um, child abusers and everything in there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so then since then, that Christmas of that year, I turned up at my parents' house. Um, my brother, old brother opened the door because he wasn't in the meeting. He probably got home late or something. Um, he showed me around the house. Family came home. They all hugged me. Um, we drank coffee and tea we had something to eat they asked me to play the piano for a bit if they wanted to hear it again um and it was very much suddenly for a brief moment in time it was all cut back to normal just for a little bit mm. um they all talked to me like i was just like it, they'd always talked to me um and then obviously when the time came for me to go mum burst into tears and that was the last time i had proper contact with anyone really a proper sort of you know social contact um eventually they so they turned up at my door once to tell me that i've been shut up the night before that was when they were really cold they didn't, there was no no hugs from that point onwards um and then i got a letter from um my dad and the two priests telling me i've been withdrawn from um and they got mum to write out the letter and sent it send it um, which i was it made me phys feel physically sick because i i knew that that would have an impact mum um having to send that letter to your own son that you're withdrawn from is just but that that's actually really cowardly isn't it yeah it i is. mean that yeah. I, I i that actually makes me feel quite angry because oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean a they don't generally get women involved in anything mm -hmm. priestly wise anyway and then yeah. to use your own mother to write that letter um yeah, yeah that's that's it that's makes, just awful. Yeah, it makes me really angry that they, yeah. they use the ones that you're closest to. Yeah, to, absolutely. To yeah. Work, basically. Yeah. And if they yeah. knew that, and it wouldn't make... 
it wouldn't mean the same if dad sent it or if one of the priests no, no. it wouldn't have the no. same impact but no but, but you, for, for, for her as well do you think for her they would have yeah but the, do you mm. think they would have done that sort of to make Possibly. her feel yeah yeah yeah, feel that she have, has, to, has to cut you off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, because yeah. mm -hmm. I know she's not been well since, um, not physically, uh, but it, she has struggled. She has told me that, um, and you know, a lot you get. I get a lot of guilt and shame from that. It's you know, it's, that's natural. Yeah. Feel that from when mm. you think you've hurt your mum, um, but yeah, I know a lot of that is also well. 98% of that is also the best <laughs> it's not it's yeah. not my doing I didn't all, choose all any of part it. of it all, yeah. all of it all, all of it the guilt is not yours because yeah. you're not the person that cut her off yeah you know, I, I, I think yeah. It's such an easy way to feel like that but I think the the, the answer is if your mum came and knocked on your front door tomorrow what would you do you know yeah, you haven't exactly. cut her off you you no. would put the kettle on for her wouldn't you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and it's that, that's it's been since then it's um first couple of years there was no birthday things or anything like that i used to send them cards and gifts and i still mm -hmm. turned up at the door and eventually asked me to stop um turning up or sending gifts um they said it was too painful for them which is fair enough i i understand that completely mm -hmm. no it's, it goes both yeah. ways um and then it kind of went down to sort of emails but you're not really sure if you, they received them if they didn't get if you didn't get response um now i use whatsapp a little bit easier to send messages mm. um and but again it's very much um me checking in to ask how they are we're fine thanks yeah and this is another thing i i find about contact with the brethren um, I was told once by the Brethren, loads of people that have left the Brethren have contact with their family. But the contact is always on their terms, isn't it? Yeah. Always yeah. on their terms. And it's yeah. always us ex-members thinking, well, I better not say that because I'll upset yeah. them and I better keep yeah. the subjects to this and this so I don't yeah. upset them. And even to the point where the contact I've had with my, my brother, he doesn't even ask how I am. Not just the general, how are you? No. It, it, it's mm -hmm. completely on their terms. And that's just, yeah, says it all really, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. It's, it's very much reduced to, yeah, pretty much nothing now. And I mean, I sent um, a Mother's Day message yesterday, but got a mm. um, very short message back. Um, but again, I know it's, that's not mum. You know, yes. it's, yeah, I always absolutely. know, I always understand that's not mum. Yeah. And I know in the back of the head, I still remember that, you know, I have all those other memories yeah. to make sure that I keep keeps myself, my head above water. Um, yeah. Because it, it is difficult because when, you know, it does feel very personal, doesn't it? Especially when it yeah. comes to your own mother. And, yeah. and because you were so close with your mum, how, how do you cope with that now? You know, the loss of her. Um, it's a continual struggle, really. I think mm. it was obviously a lot more difficult to start off with. Yeah. Um, but as... Time goes on, you you know, I've had therapy as well and um, you build up a new network and it certainly doesn't fill the, the gaps that's no. been left. Um, but it does help to help you move forward. I mean, yeah. there's so many others, you know, so many more new friends and family that we I've got and Paul's got four children and they've all they've all included me as, as a family member. Oh, um, yeah. And I really feel like, you know, when we have Christmases and 
family dinners together now i feel like a part of the family like i did back then it usually yeah. takes me a while to thaw out but with them now it's just like like it's normal mm-hmm. um yeah. my so paul's dad is he is um getting on near 90 now he's a very particularly blunt and no nonsense type of guy um <laughs> but even he now introduces us to his visitors and carers as his sons um Aww. and that was Aww. the big thing because Aww. he was he was very much a you know from that generation where it's you know, he's just very blunt and you know but yeah yeah even he he can he can even he can love me so yeah, <laughs> yeah. My, my partner's mum is exactly the same she she mm. always refers to me as her son yeah. um to anybody mm. she meets um and yeah it's really lovely that you've got that it really is Absolutely. and i I think that's what a lot of experts would do, isn't it? We 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 find, if you like, another family and another. You found Paul, and um, yeah. Ross has found his partner, and we all have. And then you get it doesn't replace that family you've lost. It no. doesn't replace, but it fills no. that hole. And it's I, I don't think the saddest thing I think is the families that are in there are hurting too. I'm sure your mum hurts. Fritz. oh absolutely i'm sure yeah. she does and i'm sure ross's mum hurts and yeah. our immediate family and children will hurt and ross's parents will hurt but they can't do anything about it that the control that is holding them they can't do anything about it so they end up having to believe that we're whatever they want to believe bitter yeah. or or wicked yeah. or whatever they want to believe to try and make themselves feel comfortable in the environment they find them in and it's just so sad and it's just so wrong isn't it yeah. Yeah, um, and I think I think sometimes that's why they can't cope with seeing us. Like you said, it was too painful. I think because they're trying to paint this picture of this awful person, yet when they meet you, you're still you. You still they just can't. They can't put those two things together. So in their minds they just have to separate it all. Absolutely, I think that's one thing. When I turned up at the door and we had a genuine chat, I wasn't. You know, that was I would ask how they've been, de- been doing. I tell them about work. You know, and it was all very normal. I think that kind yeah. of put them off. They were like, "Yeah, you suddenly yeah. have yeah. horns or something." I don't know, but it's it is. Yeah, yeah. You're just like the same person who left. Well, you know, left the home. Yet we're meant to be thinking of you as this person who's on this slippery slope. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I remember, I remember my, I remember mom saying on the phone shortly after I left. She said can't understand it because you just still sound like Anne yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but then yeah. when I see you I can't cope with it yeah because you don't mm-hmm. look the same but yeah. you still sound the same you're still talking about the same things you know yeah, yeah. It's, it's really difficult for them it is difficult for them and I think too as you say Fritz you talk to your family and you're still the Fritz who was part of their family that they know um and that actually they say upsetting but actually I think it completely unsettles them because yeah. then they start to think well okay this person has different a different life but he's still the same person we know and yeah. if they start to question that how you can still be the same Fritz they know and love yeah. then they're going to start to question so much more and they cannot afford to do that. Yeah. That, that, you know, that the, the consequences of going down that road is they'll end up where we all are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're, they're basically just frightened to go down that rabbit hole, aren't yes. they? Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. So they protect themselves. And then I also think, Fritz, you referred to your mum not looking terribly well when you last saw her. I also think 
continually not going down that rabbit hole that you can end up I mean, I'm saying this partly because of my own experience. I know it's many years ago. I've been in the Brethren with this huge dissonance because you see people and you think, well, actually, there's nothing wrong with them, but I have to believe there's something wrong with them. Mm-hmm. So you're continually yeah. trying to draw that there must be something wrong with them. There must, because I'm in this special mm-hmm. place. Yeah. And I think that's why they end up, a lot of them can end up with this huge mental conflict. Yeah. I know I did when I was in, but luckily I left when I was very young. But I think if I'd stayed, it would have got worse, that mental yeah, conflict. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, I, go on, Fritz. I go on. I know, I just, I really wanted to quickly mention as well, um, when I first started looking at getting out, um, I went on the Wikipedia page at the time, had a little help button, mm-hmm. um, and I emailed someone on there, um, obviously anonymous, and they got me to get in touch with the another guy who left Tuesday. And I remember the first thing he said to me, um, we were in a, I was sat in an the car park thinking, God, this is, well, probably not God, but this is the, <laughs> this is the, the first step of a very, very slippery slope. Um, yeah. And the uh, first thing he said to me was, Fritz, you need to realise that everyone out here is not how you've been taught. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of, yeah. it's something that I already kind of started seeing, but it was the light bulb moment that I needed. Yeah. And mm. it's something that I know other people have mentioned as well on the podcast as well, that it, you we need to realise that people out here are out to, to help you, hold you up. You know, the, I went to the barbers about three days after I left. He asked mm. me what haircut I wanted. I said, I had no idea. Um, it wasn't <laughs> this. Um, and, <laughs> he, yeah. and so I started telling my story and they said, this is why I don't know how to have my hair, which sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And it blew his mind. But we then had, you know, we kept in contact for over the years. And then the barber down the road now, she's, she was in touch with me about the whole BBC thing that I did. And she mm. was, you know, being really much of a, quite a cheerleader and, um, and lots of people, people at work and people that you come across like recruitment consultants, getting your job and they've been really supportive. People are always out here to hold you up. Yes, of course there are bad people, but yeah, the majority, yeah, the majority are here, all here to help you and accept you for who you are. It doesn't mm. matter what mm. you can do for them or what you can say for them. Mm. For just for being you because that's the thing isn't it the brethren teach you that um everybody out here if they do something for you they want something in return and it's yeah. not the case at all there are a lot of people out here that will help you just because they want to help you yeah. and they don't expect anything in return at all yeah absolutely mm. yeah yeah and Fritz, you mentioned um, when you were younger with your mum that you used to make cakes with her. Did I hear that right earlier when you were talking? Yeah. So we. Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, growing into a little thing, little thing that's happened. Um, So yeah. So I. So it all started really. I always used to love baking. Um, Kind of obviously the sort of thing you used to do with mum when we were little and. Um, mm. In year 12, we were all meant to be doing an A-level English course or something, and everyone dropped out apart from me and two girls. And um, we, they said, I'll oh, just do a project. So we started up a cupcake business, or business, a pro- cupcake project, mm. um, where we researched, we built a brand, and we made cupcakes and sold them to the brethren and that kind of thing. And um, I remember a guy coming in from the brethren businesses, one of their suppliers, and he's showing us how to pipe. Mm. And... Um, he, I remember him saying, oh, you've got quite a natural hand at that. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever, you know, probably as a male, I probably shouldn't have. But, um, <laughs> and then, so, yeah, so I went on to make cakes for mum, so Mother's Day, birthdays, that kind of thing. And then my sister, um, especially in the last, I think, two years before I, the 
two years before I left, both years I made um, cakes for her and then my grandma. Um, and it came a bit of a, a bit of a thing, I suppose. Um, and obviously all of a sudden it stopped uh, when I left. And then um, just started up again, just with for, obviously for Paul and his family and that kind of thing. And then a friend and colleague at the time, she asked me to do her wedding cake, um, which is terrifying because I was also mm. a guest. So this cake was sat staring at me for most of the evening, <laughs> threatening to sweat and, you know, fall apart and the rest of it. Um, <laughs> but it was um, a massive success. It was brilliant. Um, and it literally, it's snowballed from there, basically. It's still very much a, a hobby. Mm. Um, and, but I just, I love the feeling that all the, the, yeah, the feeling I get from seeing people's joy when they see the cake and how much time and care I've put into it. It's mm. um, that's why on my Instagram, I have the hashtag that cake feeling because mm. it's not just about the, the eating, which, you know, mm. is <laughs> quite nice, but also it's the, the memory you have and the fact that someone actually cared enough to, to make it for you. Mm. Um, yeah. So it started from there and it's just taken off really. And you do can quite a yeah, Sorry, I was going to say, you, say you, can you, we show some photos? Yeah, please do share the screen, Anne. You, you sent us some photos, so we thought we'd share them because they really are amazing, Fritz. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Very uh, much self-taught, so it's all been a, yeah, a learning curve. They are amazing, but it's a talent because you must have the imagination, then the gift to actually put the cake together. And um, Yeah, so they're, all, they're always personalised. I don't like yes. sort of getting someone... Well, I've had a few people sort of say, can you make this for me? Um, I had a wedding last year, which one of the photos will be, where it's um, Van Gogh's Starry Night on a cake. They asked me to paint it on a cake, which I had so many moments where I was nearly going to say no to them. Um, and mm. also we had the heat, heat wave last year, so we were 36 degree heat. Ooh, and we, that... we were also at that wedding as well, so that was <laughs> But the cake stayed <laughs> yeah. in the fridge, which is good. Um, yes. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just... I can't, oh, why can I not do this? Um, and if you give me a minute, I'll go back onto. I, I've had to switch to my phone, but I'll go back onto my computer and we'll try and do it. So, Fritz, are you happy to keep talking? And I'll switch back to yeah, my no computer. Problem yeah, yeah. Tell us about how you made the cakes because I think. Yeah, so I. So, the moment, it's very much family and friends. Um, they sort of hit, but yeah, sort of is done by word of mouth. Um, and they just give me ideas of what they're looking for. I usually sort of, you know, favorite color all the rest of it and then i just spend some time just coming up with an idea that's going to be personal to them um mm. and something that's you're not going to find on the internet um and as i say it's very much a, a learning curve recently i started found out you can make edible moss which i didn't realize as a thing um okay and mushrooms that was another thing and then obviously this cake that i painted with van gogh's paint uh, painting on it that was you have to make a special type of buttercream to be able to paint like, on a cake because obviously it's done hand the same consistency as acrylic mm. paint. Um, mm. And it's all done with a, a palette knife that so took about five, four or five hours to paint it on. Um, mm. Yeah, and then we had to take it up to somewhere up north. So it was a treacherous car journey with this <laughs> cake wobbling around the back. <laughs> um, and do, do you sort of plan it all out? Like, do you draw it all before you actually do it? I usually have a drawing of it. Yeah. Um, some things I leave to sort of see what happens. Um, and usually it works out fine. So, you know, that's, that's a good thing. But, um, yeah, usually it's a, I've drawn it out and I just Google everything, you know, when she said, I want moss and a cake, I said, 
can you make edible moss? And it came up with how to make edible moss. It's just that. <laughs> you, make, <laughs> you make that moss then? Yeah. So I've seen a picture of it. It's, yeah, it's very much, it's almost like consistency of a really loose sponge texture. Right. Um, and you literally mix eggs with um, a sort of flour and sugar and um, food colouring off because it's bright green. Um, yeah. And then you, you microwave it for a minute in these disposable cups and you cut it out. And it's just wow. that. Absolutely that's, bizarre. Really, that's incredible. I thought that like edible moss, you must have just bought it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So you literally, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. But it just shows that you can make anything. <laughs> yeah. That is okay. amazing. So, um, yeah, and so you've, you've, when you're doing the designs, do you come up with the designs mainly? Because you're yeah. obviously able to put so much together and it tells a story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's sometimes so I said it's the wedding cake last year. That was, she gave me a picture and said, I want this. Um, and then I think I've only had one other person for a child's cake who said, you know, this is what my son wants. Oh, so, there we go. Can you see it now? Yeah. So this was yeah. So this was the first. Uh, this is the cake that will blow it up. So hence why it's part of my logo now. Um, oh, so they yeah. are they're beer lovers and festival lovers. So you can't really see it in that picture, but around the the other side from the cake, sorry, the flowers, they are all miniature beer uh, glasses and beer cans. Oh wow. I think you can just, can you just see them on the left of the picture? They're there, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, 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 I can see it, yeah. And then this we've got this one here. Van Gogh. The, the Van Gogh, <laughs> um, yeah. There's obviously a, a reference to Doctor Who, which I didn't have a clue I was going to say, time. what's that? Yeah, connection. Oh, well, <laughs> like, what's that for? I mean, I obviously realised it was Doctor Who, but yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, so she's a, very much a Doctor Who nerd, so um, that's what <laughs> that was. And then we've got this one here. So yeah, this was the one that appeared on the the BBC thing. Um, mm, so yeah, great. this is just a friend's fortieth birthday cake. It was a sort of weird mix of wanting it to look classy but also Halloween. So we had uh, okay, yeah, leopard yeah. print and yeah. edible bats and that kind of thing. Um, and the the bottle is reference to she one of her favourite musicals is Wicked. I think it's Wicked. Where there's oh, something yeah. about a green bottle. I don't know. This is what Paul yes, told me. I don't they, know. They, they all dress up as green bottles. So I have seen it many years Something ago. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how then, long does it take you to do these? Um, so it will be a good day and a half, probably. It's also, <laughs> obviously, I do it around my full-time work. So I do make the sponges, then coat, like paint, sorry, ice it, and then put the decorations on. So this is the, this is the edible moss. Um, amazing. <laughs> It's amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, all the mushrooms are handmade from like model modeling fondant, looking mm -hmm. from pictures, and then I oh, okay. had a airbrushing tool, mm -hmm. um, and the the horns are from. So this the the this cake was for a friend whose twenty fifth birthday. She's a pagan, um, okay. and into sort of mm -hmm. all the sort of Norse gods and that kind of thing. So the horns mm -hmm. are for like. Loki, the god, Norse god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually a very much a Hollywood thing, but apparently she likes it, so it's fine. Um, and then <laughs> around the back of it, you can't really see it, but on the from the twenty five running down the back, there was this like a river of um, gold love hearts, and that's to represent Freya, the god of the love. God of love, yeah. Um, oh, okay. So, and she's in pictures. She's always got long 
sort of golden auburn hair so that'll sort of rep yeah. represent that so yeah. Yeah, they are absolutely amazing. And Fritz, out of interest, I mean, you've obviously got a real talent for this. Yeah. Would this, you do it alongside your full-time work now, but if you'd carried on with this among the brethren, would it have been acceptable for you as a guy to expand this and sell it as a business? Would, would that have been an acceptable work for you in the brethren? No, no, absolutely not. I mean, it's, no, if it was a, if it was something that they could turn into a you know a um something creating factories and create high numbers yeah. of sales from and yeah. i wasn't involved in it That's then yes it yeah. would be a business right. yeah. um but for me to have my little bakery down the road and little community and to have you know all these little yeah. little cake shop that would have been unheard of um, yeah. one yeah. of the things weirdly i had my dad spoke to me before i left and he could tell something was up because i was very quiet and obviously you know trying to make work my head around this whole new thing that was about to happen he asked sort of said oh um you know what about if we put you on like a, a course like a cooking course or something and that was quite mm. revolutionary because you know mm -hmm. men don't go on cooking courses no. especially when no. they're near marriage age they have a, a you know have a wife to do that sort of thing yeah, um, yeah. so yeah that i think then they probably possibly thought that something might be up and offered me something that i would would they knew i would enjoy mm. um but no i wouldn't have been a baker in there that wouldn't have been a, a thing no. um there's been times where there's initiatives that they ran where uh, <laughs> some of the brothers would do like meals and stuff like that um but by the time they got married that that business was had gone because yeah. they would obviously have to focus on yeah. family life and that kind of thing yeah. so this again comes down to the other factor where within that community you can't be who you want to be because regardless of your sexuality if if a guy wanted to become a baker or a hairdresser yeah. which many guys do yeah. it would not have been acceptable would it oh yeah yeah absolutely and, and was shaking her head too i mean it so again it's restricting people's choices and people's you know what they can do in life and therefore the things that their natural personalities may be suited to and they yeah. can end up being forced down the road that's just not for them. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the career paths are so restricted. You are mm. sales, marketing, accounts, you know, or um, possibly in the warehouse. And that was that was all you've got. You've you. So I spent the last four years recently uh, working in a school as a teaching assistant, um, working alongside one to one with a, a student. And that was one of the most rewarding careers I've ever had. Yeah. Um, incredibly rewarding to see this this boy grow up and um get through all this trauma he had and be part of his progress and it was absolutely amazing but that would have never been an option for the you know working or not a chance um and yeah so that i and i never fitted in those roles that they had no. um one of the courses one of the like management courses that they had when they started bringing out i i um started a sales and marketing course I can't think what it was called now, but um, but I didn't finish it. I didn't even get past the first page. I found it so dull, mm -hmm. um, and there's no passion. That absolutely no passion at all. Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, what you're saying brings me back to my daughter saying mm. to me when she was still living with me. She said, um, "Mum, I'd really love to join the army or be a um, be an ambulance driver." Yeah, you know, she was really passionate about it, and I said, "Well, you know, if you stay where you are, you won't be able to do that." And she said, "Oh, do you think they'd let me drive a forklift truck or something in a warehouse?" 
Because <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want is to go in an office, sit yeah. in an office. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, sadly, that's where she did end up was sitting in an mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. So presumably at the the schools when you're at that 16 to 18 age, when you're sort of thinking about what you want to do, you don't really think about what you want to do because there isn't a a whole avenue of choice in front of you. No, the only kind of obvious option for me was marketing because I could do designing leaflets and that kind of thing. But even then that became a waste of time because you're spending time doing all these leaflets. You're not actually creating sales. Um, no. and it's all it's all sales driven it's all numbers yeah. in that yeah. Of, yeah. Course, of course it is because it's yeah. a sales company yeah um, but that just i didn't have the gift of the gab they sent yeah. me on courses for tele sales i yeah. was you... terrified of it i had yeah. to eventually quit because i just wanted mm. it wasn't me mm. um but weirdly now i work in recruitment and i do outbound calls all the time and it doesn't bother me um <laughs> but it's i think it's because i'm myself now i've got confidence i can yeah. Yeah. you know yeah um, rather than then, I was this little quivering wreck that wouldn't, mm. you know, didn't feel I had any worth anyway. So then to speak to someone out in this wicked world to try and mm. sell them something just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't going to work. Yeah. It was never going to no, happen. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, Fritz, thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story. We really appreciate it. And I want to ask you a question that we actually asked um, Ross when he came on. If there was somebody in the Brethren who is gay, what would you say to them? Well, I had a little bit written down for this already. So <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's fine. Um, it's because yeah. <laughs> it's advice, Fritz. Yeah, so yeah. I, I actually did this and I also did the, the BBC piece. I did it for all yes. the, the little Fritzes still inside. Yeah. Um, you might feel worthless, you might feel like there's no way out. You might feel like you're a nobody trapped in a mental prison. Um, you might feel like you have nothing in yourself that could possibly hold you through such a dramatic transition. Um, I'm telling you now, you have got it. There are people out here that support you with no expectation of return. Mm-hmm. And there are people out here yeah. who will become dear friends that will hold you up in your darkest hours, celebrate you for you and just enjoy your presence. Yeah, that's I think that, that's really lovely. Really lovely. And I just have just an extra bit mm-hmm. for the, in case anyone else is watching inside there. Um, mm-hmm. My blood family, I obviously miss them a huge amount still. It's been mm. almost seven and a half years, but it doesn't, doesn't make any difference. No, it um, doesn't. No. I've trained. I've changed. It's true. I've got less hair on my head, more hair on my chin, and <laughs> more grey hair pretty much everywhere. So, <laughs> but I, um, have, yeah. I've got confidence and self-love and knowledge of the actual truth. Um, I just want to be able to speak to my mum, and I want to be able to speak to my family. Um, yesterday was Mother's Day. The run-up in the shops is incessant. The constant emails promoting it is draining. I love celebrating mum. We did gifts, organised... Sorry, we did cakes. We organised gifts and meals. I apologise the time we support your steam iron. Um, but I wish I could just celebrate Mother's Day even just with a simple call. Mm. Mm. And I think that's something I would say to the brethren, particularly the people that run the show, with... All of the ex-brethren, that's actually all we want, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we're we're not there to pull their church apart. We're not no. there to change their beliefs. No. Um, we're not even there to stop their meetings. We're not even no. there to take away their charitable status, but they need to start acting charitable. All we want Just is to be able to have a relationship with our families. Yeah. And we wouldn't be doing these podcasts probably if that was the case, because that's the bottom Absolutely. line, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, yeah, as you say, it's, it's not like we want to have 
you know, I'm not expecting you to come around to my house and have dinner with me. No, that's that's not. No. I know. If I'm trying to be realistic. I just literally all I want is even just a a response, a proper response to messages. Yeah, just to be able um, to have a chat, a meaningful yeah. chat yeah. without any inhibition. Just have a normal conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah like you're used to with your parents or your yeah. children, Anne, or your your family, Ros, whoever it is. Just a normal conversation without those that that invisible wall that's always there mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also I think with the the family, especially not just parents, but the the family, I'm I'm not going to be out to try and trick you into leaving. That's no. that's not that's not my no, role. No. And I think that's partly when I when I came out, I was always a little bit wary of the other outsiders. I thought, you know, they're all they're all bitter and they're all out to get mm. us and the rest of it. Yeah, um, yeah. But it actually, you know what? We we just want to have a chat with you. It's yeah. and it's nothing to try and persuade you to do anything. No. It's literally just to have to find out how you are. No. Yeah. yeah. And just to say I'm still your son, I'm still Fritz, yeah. I'm still your mum, I'm still Ross, yeah. I'm still Ross, no. and yeah. so on. Yeah. And um, yeah, and, and it's quite interesting because I know that that's one thing that's been said about me and the brethren is that I try and persuade people to leave and that I break up families. And I know that's been said about me. And you you, you think, how can you even try and dissuade? That's the last thing in the world. It, you, I think most sex brethren would never persuade someone to leave because we all know how hard it is. No. Uh, it's, it's not our decision to, be, to make, is it? It's not our decision to make, no. No. Um, and, and it's a very... It's a very serious decision to me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, all we can do we, is help those help that you. made the decision. Yeah, I think. No, what, um, we, sorry, Ross. Yeah, no, I was just going to say all we can do is help those that are thinking of leaving to mm. perhaps make that leap to actually leave. Yeah. Yeah, I think what um, Anne said on your podcast about with Cheryl, Cheryl about um, having that landing pad that that was a very mm. much an aha moment for yeah. me because. I sort of yeah. say, you know, Paul keeps telling me that you you have actually created a little pathway for other little people, other people that might want to to leave. Mm-hmm. You know, you've just mm-hmm. created this little space where they can mm-hmm. come and knock on the door, and you'll be happy Absolutely. to say, "Come mm-hmm. in and just have a cup of tea." It's mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's why I think it's very it's very important, and I think it's really good that people like yourself and Ross and Ben have come and spoken on the podcast because we know that there are people in there who are gay and oh, are keeping that yeah. secret to themselves, and. Yeah. If they can see there's three people speaking openly about their struggle to leave and the effect it had on them, but the, hey, they're okay, they're doing yeah. all right, you know. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Statistically, one in ten people are gay, so there must yeah. be a whole lot of them in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know yeah. that the the pod, the get a life um, get a life team have been contacted by people in that are gay since Ben Woodbury's podcast went out and i can well imagine after your two podcasts there will be more contact as well because hopefully it will give those people the confidence to think hey i don't have to fight this on all on my own and keep this what they perceive a dark dirty secret which it isn't but they perceive it that way when they're in don't they and they can just not not have to live like that so yeah Fritz, thank you so much. We thoroughly appreciate yeah, your time. You so it's been, um, and your cakes are wonderful. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> order one one day. Yeah. Joe and I will get one. You'd make us one for our wedding. Yeah. Oh, there go you for go. it. Yeah. You, you've got an order out of it already. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Thank- Share your story or be a guest on the show. Email info.getalife at proton.me.